ask you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter number 16. Uh, I'm going to lay a foundation, probably maybe a familiar story for some of you in this room, for many of you in this room. Uh, but uh, last Sunday night I began, and I, like I said, I'm not a real big series preacher, but I've done a more series, it seems like, uh, recently than I have in any time that I can remember, whether it be a two or three sermon series or what have you. But the Lord really impressed upon me a few weeks ago to begin to talk about on Sunday night, and I don't know exactly how long I'll do this, uh, but over the next few Sundays, I, I definitely will be doing this unless the Lord changes our direction, uh, but talking to you about godly leaders in an ungodly world. Uh, last Sunday evening, we dealt with the fact that uh, God created us to be leaders. He created us to be men and women uh, that would uh, operate in spiritual authority and to bring about the will of God uh, upon this earth. And uh, throughout time, throughout history, many men and many women have picked up that mantle of leadership and they have changed the world. They have impacted a world. And today, you and I have that same ability uh, and you say, well, I just don't see myself on the level of some of them. It's not about how we see us, but it's about what God says concerning us. And uh, so uh, tonight we're going to continue uh, talking about godly leaders in an ungodly world. But we're going to deal with the heart of a leader. How many knows it's important to have a pure heart and to walk upright before the Lord and before men? Uh, so we're going to lay a foundation. I, we'll see how far we get. And, uh, but... Uh, let us begin in 1 Samuel, chapter number 16, beginning in verse number 1. And uh, we're going to read together uh, down through verse number 12. And uh, we will begin tonight. Let me welcome our online audience tonight as well. May the Lord bless you wherever you're watching us from or where, when you will watch us. I pray that this will be a blessing to you as well. 1 Samuel, chapter number 16, beginning in verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? I want to pause here for a moment and tell you this. God doesn't accept everything. Well, let us never forget that. He says, Fill thy horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hear it? He will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord and call Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show thee what thou shalt do and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem and he and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, comest thou peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord, sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it come to pass when they were come that he looked on Elab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his statue, because I have refused him. The Lord doesn't accept everything. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. 
Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before him. And then you find in verse 10 that he made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and without of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now let us go to Psalms chapter 78. We want to read just a few verses there very quickly. Psalms 78. You will find verse number 70, 71 and 72. He chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes, great with young. He brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Let me give you verse 72 again. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and he guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege to stand and to teach your word this evening in the presence of your people. Today, we thank you for everything that has been accomplished in this house today thus far. Thank you for the powerful, powerful presence that's in this room. So today, Father, I pray that this, anointed, this vessel would be anointed to speak your word with power and demonstration by the Holy Spirit. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for honoring the word of the Lord this evening. To be a godly leader, notice with me, the heart must not only be turned towards God, but it also must be prepared to serve in alignment with the word of God. Let me say it again. To be a godly leader, the heart must not only be turned towards God, but it also must be in alignment to be prepared to serve the word of the Lord or serve according to the word of the Lord in any given time. You will notice that David was chosen when man would not have particularly chosen him. And the reason for it was not because of his physical attributes or his status in culture, but he was chosen because of the integrity of his heart. Now we know that David was all over the board in scripture. You can find that he was a man that the Bible tells us he was a man after God's own heart. We know this, that then David found himself as a man of war. We find that he shed lots and lots of blood, lots of conflicts. We also find that he had his own set of problems uh, with crucifying the flesh. And we find that the sin of idleness got him in trouble where he chose the balcony over the battlefield. And we find that he was, he had his struggles, but yet David was a man that had integrity 
in his heart. And we know that there was something that David desired to do, and that was to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord would not permit him because of the amount of blood that he shed. So most of you are familiar with the story where he said, I will allow your son Solomon to build because he said there will be a time of peace in the land. And when you begin to read this story, you find that if you were to take the time to read 1 Kings chapter 9, you would find that after this has been erected, after this has been built, Solomon goes to a place of prayer. And it says that the Lord answered him in verse 3 and said, I've heard your prayer and I've heard your supplication that you've made before me. And he said, I've hallowed this house and I'm going to put my name there and my eyes will be there perpetually uh, and my hand's going to be there but then you read on in the verse four and he says but if thou will walk before me as David thy father walked in integrity of the heart and in the uprightness and to do according to all that I've commanded thee then I will and if you'll keep my statutes and my commandments he says this there's going to be nothing to ever stop from generation to generation to generation my hand will be upon your lineage But he said, if you turn, meaning this, if you fail to keep your heart turned towards me, if you fail to keep your heart right, then he said, there will be great destruction and devastation in your lineage. Now think about it. What he was hearing is keep your heart turned towards me, Solomon. Now you say, what does that have to do with the heart of a leader? Notice, if you come back to Psalm 78, verse 72, let me give it to you in another translation. It says, so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. In every time, in every age, there, is, there comes a time when a leader must step forward. However, there has been times that leaders failed to step forward And the reason for it, one of the biggest reasons for it is because they have an unprepared heart. If you and I are going to be effective in leading in this hour that God has given us, it will be because that we are on purpose sensitive to the instructions of God concerning his people. It is important, please hear me tonight, it is important that leaders develop their skills in order to lead effectively. Every one of us have gifts, every one of us have talents in this room. We're all make up the body of Christ. But just because you have a gift, just because you have a talent, does not mean you can effectively operate in it unless you take the time and do the due diligence to develop it. There is children that are born and you can immediately see that they are gifted in certain areas because of their behavior, because of their personality. And you will find that they have an ear for music or they have a a, a trait of leadership. But if that never gets developed, it will never benefit them. In order for it to be developed, it must come under subjection to a place of development and discipline. Please hear me. We find in Acts chapter 9, there's another story. For the sake of time, I can't read every one of these verses that I'd like to read tonight. But there's a man by the name of Saul. You know him as Paul. 
He gave two-thirds of the New Testament to you and I by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he is a man that is bringing out threatening and slaughters against the church. Uh, He's imprisoning. He's slaughtering the people of faith. And he's on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And all of a sudden, he has an encounter with Jesus. Anybody remember that story? Upon that traveling, all of a sudden, there's two things that happens. And this man asked two questions, and he asked the questions in the right order. And if you and I are going to be godly leaders in an ungodly world, we must allow these two questions to guide our lives. Number one is this. You will find that he asked, who are you, Lord? Can I ask you the question, do you know who he is? I'm not asking, do you know about him, but do you know who he is? Not talking about did grandma know who he was, but do you know who he is? Do you know him as savior? Do you know him as healer? Do you know him as deliverer? Do you know him as your strong tower? Do you know him? See, you and I have to know him. So who are you, Lord? And then he asked the second question. What would you have me to do? These are the questions that should guide every man, every woman as they begin to follow after Christ. The leader God uses, as I shared with you and I mentioned it twice already, God doesn't accept everything. God loves everyone. He petitions a call. I'll hold you in a few minutes, baby. I've seen her now. Man, I've been blessed the last few days. I had grandbabies everywhere. I just got to figure out how to carry three at one time instead of two. That's another area. Pray for my back that I can handle carrying them. They keep getting bigger every weekend, I think. They're not missing any meals, I can tell you that. Well, all right, get back focused, Ron. It's hard to get distracted by that beauty. The leader that God uses, I want to give you a list tonight, biblically, of who God uses. How many knows the Bible says that many are called but few are chosen? I questioned that for many years at times, certain, when I began to look at certain things, I began to realize that there's many called, but there's only a few chosen because there's only a few that decides to take care of the heart issues. When you begin to get your heart right, it begins to make way for you. Now, here we go. The leader God uses, number one, has a great purpose in life. You say, Well, I I don't really know what my purpose is. Notice with me, Philippians chapter 3, verse number 7 through verse number 11. It says, but what things were given to me, this is Paul writing, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things, tell your neighbor, say all things. All things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. But he says, I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul was simply saying, you know what? I've had everything. I have been blessed. I have had, I've had lived in a state of abundance. I have had everything that the world could offer me. And he said, I've lost it all because I've went on this path of following Christ. But he said, you know what? I've come to understand that everything that I had before Acts chapter nine in my life was just rubbish. He said, nothing had value. Everything that I thought was valuable is not valuable at all because of the simple fact 
he got a life of purpose because he understood that after his encounter in Acts chapter 9, I've got to tell the world about Jesus. And he become a man of purpose. And that's why he said, I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Do you know your God-given purpose is the question I have for you at the very beginning of our time tonight. You must answer these questions if you are going to be a godly leader. I'm going to give you a few of them real quickly. Number one, what is your burdens? What are your burdens tonight? What are your spiritual gifts? What are your natural talents? What are your desires and passions? What do others affirm about you? What are your dreams and visions? What opportunities are in front of you right now? You say, why must I answer these? Because you have to know your purpose. Listen, it doesn't matter what brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so says and declares and speaks over you, they're not the one that's supposed to give you your purpose. You gotta find your purpose. And the only way you'll ever find your purpose is if you totally sell out to God. Paul had an encounter, he said, who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? And once God began to develop him and began to pour into his life and began to mold him, he began to realize my purpose for existence is to share the good news of the gospel. And therefore, his burden was the lost. He operated in the spiritual gift that God given him. He didn't try to be Peter. He didn't try to be anybody else. He was true to himself. I wonder tonight who you trying to be. You have to be you. A godly leader is somebody that is true to themselves. What are your desires and passions? Now, I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to enjoy life together and with our families, but can I tell you, my purpose is not my pleasures. My purpose is my assignment. If I take a time off of rest, absolutely. I'm hoping to be able to tomorrow to drive on a motorcycle. I haven't been able to do that only four times this year. I'd like to maybe do that sometime tomorrow, but if I don't, it's not the end of the world because that's not my purpose. My purpose is what brings fulfilling to me. My purpose is what brings the blessing of God to my life when I walk it out. Is anybody with me tonight? The leader God uses not only has a, has a sense of purpose, but they also know this, has by God's grace, don't miss this, has removed any hindrance from their life. You say, oh, but you don't know my life. Listen, God could do everything for us, but he chooses to make us decide to do some things for ourselves. About two years old, really a little, about 18 months, when those little ones start getting mobile and they start doing things, up until that time, you do everything for them. But about 18 months, they start getting mobile and getting this and mommies and daddies and grandmas and grandpas will start saying, sweetie, will you bring me that? When before, you just went and got it. But just say, will you bring me that? Will you bring me that? 
cup? Will you bring me that diaper? Will you bring me those wipes? Why? It's because we want them to do something for themselves. Now notice this passage of scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, through the following, it says this, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God notice with me he could lay aside every weight off our lives but there's some things he says you've got to make the decision to take it off A godly leader, a person that God uses, is a person that by God's grace has removed the hindrances from their life by faith. Meaning this, God, your promises says, your word says uh, that if I take this off, you have something better for me. I don't always understand it, but I know this, if I take it off, notice with me, character and integrity are indispensable if you're going to be a godly leader has been throughout history, will be now. Character can be defined in this manner as self-leadership. May I ask you this question? How well are you leading you? It's one thing to know what to do, but it's another thing to make yourself do it. Once you lead yourself well, others may very well want to follow you. If you look around and not many people's following you, even though you're calling yourself a leader and even though you may have every title the world can came up, if there's not anybody following you, I, I want to tell you something right now. You're really not a leader. You can call yourself whatever you want, but you're not a leader. But is it possible that nobody's following you because you're not leading yourself well? Meaning that possibly there's a character flaw. I told you you all was stuck with me tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> Pastor Jones, he's, he's on the road. He can't, he can't do it tonight. Notice with me. It is the foundation on which the leader's life is built, character is. You and I, if we're going to be godly leaders, we have to be men and women with character. Here is what character does for a leader. I want you to write these down if you're taking notes. Character communicates credibility. How many knows credibility is important? Character also harnesses respect. You earn respect. And you earn respect by being a man or a woman of character. Character also creates consistency. Does it mean you're only one way when it's easy and you're another way when it's hard? No, you're, you're not blowed around with the storms of life, but character keeps us in a stable manner. Notice with me, character creates consistency, but it also, it earns trust. In order to build strong character, leaders must choose to do the following. Number one, if you're going to be somebody that God chooses to use in this season, this very important season that we find ourselves in, 
you will be someone that develops personal discipline. It means you do not let circumstances in your life dictate how much you pray and when you pray. It means you are a man or a woman of prayer. Oh, I knew you wouldn't shout me down tonight. It's a good thing I'm teaching, not preaching. I, I don't expect you to, to shout when I'm teaching, so you get a free pass tonight, all right? In order for there to be strong character, a leader must not just choose personal discipline, but they also must do this. They must develop personal security and identity, meaning you have to be comfortable in your own skin. Listen, I love you all. I really, really do. But I don't do what I do to make you happy. And based on whether you like me or don't like me, does it change who I am or what my purpose is? And I don't say that mean. But my purpose is to take the gospel. My purpose is to train. Listen, I love and I would never speak ill of the generations before us. I love my heritage. I love the things that they had right. But I'm going to be very honest with you. Myself and all of you would be so much further down the road spiritually if the generation before us would have taught us some of these basic principles about having character and discipline and living a life in a structured manner. Please hear me. We must develop personal discipline. We must develop a, 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 a sense of, uh, of security and identity. But we also, please hear me, must develop personal convictions and values and ethics. Doesn't matter what others are doing, but what has God told you? It's about personal holiness. It's about living set apart. It's about listening. I, I, listen, I don't care. You know, the, the enemy's really good. Well, you don't have to really do that because brother so-and-so, they're anointed and they do that. Well, that's fine. That's between them and God. But if God tells you to do something, do it. But if he tells you not to do something, also don't do it. Because what you're doing is you're building character in the eyes of God. And this character is there. And he's saying, listen, there's a man of conviction. That's a man that never changed. I still hear it to this day when I'm around certain people and I'm out in public. They say, your daddy never changed. Your mama never changed. They had personal conviction. They had values and they had ethics. If you're going to be a leader in the kingdom of God, you must develop these. Thirdly is this, the leader God chooses to use places himself absolutely or herself absolutely you ain't going to like this one at God's disposal. It means you don't choose what you're going to do and how you're going to do when you're going to do it. It just means this, God, if you say go, I go. God, if you say I stay, I stay. Listen, I wish we could use a cookie cutter and make it exactly how we want it. It don't work that way. If you are going to be a leader in the kingdom of God, please hear me. You're going to make some people upset. Some people not going to understand why you're making the decisions you're making. They ain't going to understand why you're doing something to them. It's totally out of left field. It doesn't make any sense at all. But God said, I'm calling you here. I'm calling you to this. And it's like, but, 
but, but, but, but I'm comfortable here. I'm doing a good thing here. But, but God, we, we're invested here. But God says, that was one chapter. But we're not going to write that chapter again. We're writing a whole story. So we're not going to write chapter one and make it chapter two. We're going to write another chapter. So now I'm telling you, if you're going to be a godly leader, you're going to have to transition. You have to be at my disposal. How do, how do I have scripture for that? Notice with me, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. You hear it quoted all the time. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. If I present it to him, it means I'm putting it at his disposal. That's why it's so important. When, listen, when you bring your babies up and you say, can we dedicate these babies? Absolutely. You're signifying, I'm giving my child to the Lord. What you're saying is, I am putting that child at God's disposal. So don't get upset when they're 16 years old and they begin to have a burning passion for Africa. And say, no, that's not God's plan for my baby. Oh, you, now, now I'm preaching. You should be shouting right there. But can I tell you, listen, you and I have to live a life that is at God's disposal or you'll never be a leader. Somebody might give you a title. They might give you a position at the local church. But at the same time, I'm here to tell you, God will not bless. Don't matter. If daddy kicks against it, grandpa don't like it. Don't matter if mommy don't like it. Listen, either you're a man or a woman that's sold out to God or you're not. To lead others. How many wants to lead others to Jesus? Let me just make sure I'm talking to the right people tonight. You want to lead others to Jesus. To lead others to Jesus, you must develop three attitudes of total surrender to God. Here we go. You ready? You must have nothing to prove. Tell your neighbor with a big smile so they don't get offended. Just tell them, say, it has nothing to do with you. (laughs) Now, if you're sitting by your spouse, I'm so sorry. You can fix that when you get home. We don't try to project our self-worth on anybody. Please hear me. We must have nothing to prove. Secondly, we must have nothing to lose. Meaning this, we don't strive for image or popularity because this has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. And thirdly, we must have nothing to hide. Listen, you can't play games in this thing. We got to live a life that's transparent and upright before God and before people. Some of the things that has gotten men and women in trouble through the years is because of this. They began to think that it was about them and they thought they had to prove things and therefore they got into a cycle and they, even though God was still anointing them, they began to lift their anointing off of them because they began to get to a place where they began to hide things in their life saying this, I just can't. I just can't, I just can't. And can I tell you, they failed to be transparent. If you're going to be a godly leader, you got to be transparent. you got to live your life openly. Number four, God is a, God, a, a guy or a gal that God chooses to use has learned, has to learn how to prevail in prayer. 
How many knows praying is one thing, but prevailing in prayer is another? They used to be, my father used to have an old sign. It was a man laying on the floor, kneeled on the floor with his head down. He's on his knees, his head was down, and it simply said at the cross the top of it, making war on the floor. It's one thing to pray, it's another thing to prevail in prayer. Prevailing in prayer is not travailing in prayer. But prevailing in prayer means that you're winning in prayer. You're fighting. How many knows the Bible tells us that the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds? Do you hear me this evening? Is, you, you say, but, but I don't know, preacher. Notice with me. We talk about healing. We talk about deliverance. We talk about men and women being set free. James chapter 5, 13 through 17, it says, Is any among you suffering? Let me, let me pause there for a moment. Is there anybody in the body of Christ, not just this house, but the local body of Christ in the Whitewater Valley, do, is there any people suffering? You look any direction within 10, 15 feet from you, there's people suffering. They love Jesus. They're in buildings that is filled with people that love Jesus. So why are they suffering? It's because there's a lack of leadership. And there's a lack of leadership because there's a lack of men and women in this hour that understand what it is to prevail in prayer. It says, is any among you suffering, let him pray. Is any among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effective favorite prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Notice with me. Nowhere in that passage tells us we have to heal anybody, deliver anybody, set anybody free. We just have to be men and women that prevail in prayer. Jesus listed, and I mentioned this the other night, and I want to go to it real quickly tonight, uh, is that Jesus tells us of three kinds of prayer in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 7. We know that it simply says, uh, ask uh, uh, and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. That's the verse that you find in Matthew 7 and 7. But notice there's three prayers that are asked. Number one is this. There is a, this is a prayer of faith. With it, we lay a hold of God's promises by faith. So you and I need to learn how to prevail in praying the prayer of faith. We do that by asking God to do something. Secondly is this, we seek. This is the prayer of dedication. With it, we seek to know God's will. When we're seeking, we're asking him, what is your will concerning this situation or this circumstance? But then when we knock, this is the prayer of intercession. With it, we pray for someone who cannot or will not pray for themselves. Can I tell you, when you ask, when you seek, when you knock, you begin to learn how to prevail in prayer. Anybody with me? Can I have a few more minutes? I got 12 of these things and I'm only on five. Lord, help me, Jesus. I got to go fast. A leader God chooses to use is not only one that prevails in prayer, but is a student of God's word. 
Notice 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many wants to be thoroughly equipped and complete? Amen? I don't want to walk around half empty. I want to be complete. Notice with me. The only way that we are able to accomplish this is if we are men and women of God that give ourselves to the study of God's word. Now, it's one thing to read. It's another thing to read, but it's another thing to study. Do you understand? Well, I, I read a chapter this morning. Well, I'm thankful that you did that. And I'm not making light of that. That's beneficial. That's like getting up when the alarm goes off and you hit snooze five times and you run into the kitchen, you get your little coffee machine going, you grab a, you, you grab a cup of coffee and you, instead of getting a good healthy breakfast, you just grab something with a little bit of protein in it and you run out the door because you got to get going, right? That, that's, read that verse, read that chapter, Yes. And that, 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 that keeps you moving, it keeps you alive, but it doesn't take you into the wholeness or the completeness that God has for you. Do you hear me? Only when you sit down and you study, God, what are you saying? I want to give you, and this Max Licato, I got this from him, and I thought it was so Interesting. He said, if you're going to study God's word, this is the, how you need to study. This is what you need to understand if you're looking at any verse, any chapter, anything like that. He gives us these three things. Students of God's word will examine the scriptures. You should examine the scriptures to understand them in this manner. What did it, what did it mean at one time? One time. What did it mean? Meaning this, what did it mean at the time that it was written for the original audience that it was written for? What is this passage saying to those individuals? So you need to read it and say, okay, first of all, what did it mean at that time? Yeah. Secondly, is what does it mean for all time? What is the universal or the timeless principle that we can learn from this passage of scripture that I'm reading or studying? And then what is the now time? What should we presently do in response to it? Please hear me. A student of God's word will know what it was meant for its original audience, what it means for all time, what is the timeless principle in it, but also what is it speaking to me right now or the church or the people that I'm involved with? What is it saying to us right now? Number six. Godly leaders in an ungodly world, the heart of a leader, the leader that God chooses to use has a vital, life-changing message, not just for a Christian, but for a lost world. I want to ask you this question tonight. What's your message? What's your life's message? What are you about? Are you about making money? Are you about gaining status? Are you about your retirement? 
Are you already dreaming about your overpriced little trailer that you would not dare to live in here, but you're willing to live in in Florida because you want to be one of those snowbirds and pay ungodly amount of money to do it? Is that, is that where your focus is? Is that what your life's about? I'm not being mean tonight, but I'm telling you, what is, what is your life? What, what is your life's message? I have a problem. Debbie will tell you I have many problems, but I have a problem. I'm going to be honest and transparent with you. And you've heard me say this time and time again. I can talk to you about just about anything. I'm the jack of all trades and the master of none. I've did a lot of things in my life. And there's a lot of things that bring enjoyment to me. I like cars. I don't mind working on houses. I can tell you about, about a lot of things. Love motorcycles. Love playing in the woods. Men Jackson, we like climbing deer stands. You know, I, I can talk to you about a lot of things. But if you're around me, we'll talk about those things, but my message, my life's message is going to come back to the things of God. I have had the privilege to be around a lot of people, a lot of wonderful people. But also I have had the privilege to be around a lot of people that are self-identified as leaders in the kingdom. Many of them are holding positions at churches all across this nation. Debbie and I, last year before last, we had the privilege. We went to Mexico. We took a week off. We was in Mexico. And we was with a couple of thousand pastors and their wives, or their spouse. Now, I know they're on vacation. But over, I don't want to exaggerate, so I'm going to, be conservative. I would say 60% of the people there that are identified as godly leaders in an ungodly world were involved in ungodly affairs. Their lives did not carry a message to the lost. You say you're judging. No, I'm not judging. I know an apple tree by the fact that it has an apple on it. Do you hear me? Now, I don't care, and there's a major, major problem. And it's not just here, it's happening across the globe because as America goes, so does the rest of the world, whether you want to believe that or not. And that even applies to spirituality and the persona of what church is and what ministry is. And we got a lot of people that are saying, I'm... Pastor so-and-so, doctor so-and-so, prophetess so-and-so, apostle so-and-so, this or that. But they do not have a message for a lost world. Because in my opinion, they're still living in lostness themselves. God doesn't choose that, nor does God bless it. Hear me. Philippians 2 16 says, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. The writer is simply saying, listen, I've got to, un I've got to tell these people 
what I know to be true, that God is the answer. Paul writes in Romans 1, 14 and 16, the apostle Paul expressed three attitudes concerning the gospel. Get this, this is amazing to me. Number one is this, he said, I am obligated to tell the world about Jesus. What would happen if every Christian, every Christian began to feel that burning sensation in their spirit? I am obligated to tell the world. Sharing the message, this is what he was saying. Sharing the message of Jesus is a debt I owe to the world. If you and I are going to be godly leaders, please hear me. We need to understand we are indebted to tell the world about the good news of Jesus Christ. So when was the last time you told somebody Jesus was good? Paul also says this, I am eager. A godly leader is someone that is eager. I am on fire to share this message with this world. Notice what Jeremiah said. He said, when I made a decision, I wasn't going to say anything anymore because this has brought so much conflict against me and and my family's even turned against me. But he said, when I said I wasn't going to say anything else anymore, he said, all of a sudden, I couldn't stay quiet because it was like a fire shut up in my bones. I wonder if you really have a fire tonight to share the good news of the gospel. If there is no fire in your life, you, you might as well forget about being a godly leader that God's going to bless. Man can appoint you uh, into whatever position, uh, but God says, I can't use you uh, because if there's not a fire, if there's not a burning, uh, if, there's not, if you're not eager to share this thing, uh, listen, uh, I've got to get you back to where David Wilkerson said, we got to be baptized in anguish again. Do you understand right now while we're sitting here and you're hearing the principles of God's word, somebody is stepping into eternity lost. Totally forever and ever and ever and ever separated from the goodness of God. And there is nothing that can say that that can't be your family member, my family member next that it happens to. Because may I remind you, you don't have to be sick and full of disease to die. We got to be eager about this thing. And then you have to be not ashamed. Paul says, I am not ashamed in verse number 16. He said, I will share it because it alone can save us. Can I tell you, there is nothing else that can bring completeness and hold us to a man or a woman on this planet outside of Jesus Christ. I'm hurrying because you're getting bored and I'm very passionate about this. I could stand here all night long and talk about this. Can I have a few more minutes? I can stop and I can finish it next week. But number seven, a godly leader that God uses has a faith that expects results. I wonder, are you expecting anything? Or are you just walking around hoping God does something? I'm not walking around hoping God does something. You say, oh my Lord, that sounds terrible. You got to listen to me. I'm not hoping God does anything. But I am expecting him to do a lot of things. Because I am going to remind him the rest of my days of what his word says. In your word, it says. In your word, it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. In his word, it says that if I ask, I will receive. 
in his word. He says, if I ask, I will. If I seek, I will. If I knock, I will. So listen, it doesn't matter what the world is doing around me. If I walk and operate in faith, I can have a spirit of expectancy. And God says, if somebody will expect me to do something, I will make them a leader in my kingdom. Now, when you start living that way, people think you're crazy. But that's all right. They already think you're crazy anyway. So you might as well live a life that's blessed and anointed by God and let them keep on thinking you're crazy. And be beneficial to the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I understand that I'm leaving this earth in a short while. I don't know. The day, I don't know the hour, I don't know when by what circumstance I am leaving, but I know that this world is not my home. Now don't be all sad about it. But listen, the truth is that that's true for all of us in this room. But as men and women of God, our desire and passion should be that we are going to leave our mark on this earth So that when we leave, not that we're doing it for legacy, not that we're doing it for attaboys, but that when we leave, there is going to be our fingerprint, so to speak, on the lives of men and women because we radically pursued God and we lived a life of faith. I don't say this braggingly or boastfully or take any credit for anything, but I can tell you this. I have learned to know that when God says to do something, you do it no matter how big it is. I've had conversations. God has simply said, do this. And I'm like, Lord, I don't, is that you? Y'all been there, right? But I can tell you one of those examples, and we shared this recently, was because we said yes three years ago, there is a baby alive today in Belize because a mobile medical clinic was there that we didn't know what we were doing. We still don't know what we're doing three years later. All we know is God is blessing it. And all I know is this, that there's a mama that did not have to put her baby in the ground a month ago because somebody said yes, because they wanted to live by faith. Now, what what I'm saying is this, week after next, I am going to be going, I'll be in Louisiana and I'll be taking ownership of two more mobile medical clinics that's going to Belize. So now we don't have one, we got three. To God be the glory. Because why? It's because I expect results. Oh, you're not shouting me down, but that's okay. Hebrews describes men and women of faith and what they each have in common. You can do a little self-check to ask yourself, to evaluate yourself. I can say it that way. You can do a self-evaluation. That way you can't blame me for anything. I want you to do a self-evaluation on yourself based on what we find in the book of Hebrews. Number one is this. All of them, the people of faith that you read of in Hebrews, they had these things in common. Number one, they had vision. I wonder, do you have vision tonight? Each of them saw the promises. Now, some of them saw them from afar off, but all of them saw them. I wonder tonight, do you see the promises of God? Are you letting the stuff of this world steal your vision? Secondly, they had confidence. Each of them were assured of the promises of God. Some of them went to the stake saying, I still believe the promises of God. Some of them never, excuse me, some of them never obtained what they had promised and hopes for, but they still never lost because notice they was confident in what God set before. 
all three, the number three was this, they had hunger. Each of them embraced and owned the promises as their own. Can I tell you, I don't just look at this book in this stage of my life and say, yeah, that's a pretty good promise, God. No, I look at this book and I say, you know what, God, that's my promise. And I'm hungry for it to be present in my life. If you and I want to be godly leaders in an ungodly world, we got to be men and women that operate in faith that expects results. They had resolve. They confessed that they were pilgrims on this earth. Notice, we're not staying here. This isn't our home. But they said, we're going to keep on until that day. And then fifthly is this, they had dreams. They're God-given dreams, not their, not their memories. Their memories did not consume them, but their dreams consumed them. Why is it that you wake up thinking about, go to bed thinking about it, the kingdom of God, is because it's a God dream. Here's how I decide whether it's a pizza dream or fried chicken dream or a God dream is this, is this, if God puts something in your spirit, it never leaves you. If it stays with you through the test of time, notice God's telling you something, God's showing you something. Let me bring this, I'm going to bring this to a close, even though I've got a lot more to go. I I just can't go and get there tonight. A godly leader that God chooses to use, chooses to serve in attitude and in action. In Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5 through verse number 11, Paul writes about how we should embrace the same mind that drove Jesus to lead by serving in attitude and action. I want to ask tonight, how well are you serving? If you were to read Philippians 2, 6 and 8, this is what you would see. Who, been in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And been found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. All I can say about that is, wow. Please hear me. Although he was God, talking about Jesus, he did not cling to his position, but rather to his purpose. Can I say that again? He did not cling to his position. He clung to his purpose. Here's what I want to say to you tonight. If you and I are going to be godly men and godly women that are leaders in the kingdom in the year 2023 and beyond... We are going to have to become men and women that take this position where we are not position conscious, but we are purpose conscious. I want that to sink in tonight. And he knew the best way to accomplish his purpose was to serve people. A leader naturally arises when someone determines to serve. It always starts with a need. You know why I'm standing here tonight pastoring this ministry? It's not necessarily because it's what I dreamed of, but it started with a need. I will never forget the day that my phone rung and it was my father. 
I immediately thought something was wrong because he never really called me. But when I received that call, he said, son, I want you to pray about something. I'm like, he has never talked to me like this before. This is what he said. I'm tired. I've done this a long time. But I think it's time for me to do something different. And he says, I'm not calling you because you're my son. I'll never forget it. But he said, I've been in prayer. By this time, I'm getting nervous. And the Lord said to call you. He said, I believe. He said, I'm not going to tell you the Lord told me, but I, I believe God's placing his hand on your life. And he's got something for you to do. And he said, if you think that it's something God wants you to do, he said, I want you to consider coming and taking and trying to just bring life to this ministry and do something with it. But he says, there's no pressure, son. He said, if it's not something that God puts in your spirit, he said, you know a lot of people. You're connected to some people. And he said, I'm okay if we put a sign out in front of the building and we'll sell it and you just tell me what mission organization to give it to and that's what I'll do. But he said, I want you to pray about it. I can't explain it. Other than when I hung up the phone, something happened in my heart. I felt something and it wasn't because it was my father but there was something in my spirit that changed brother John in that moment and I felt the weight of a need and that need began to spark a passion in me And that passion caused me to react to the need that was made known to me. I didn't feel qualified. But that passion caused me to become mobile and active. And it caused me to do something caused me to reach down and begin to stir up a gift that was inside of my life that I knew was there from a child but I just didn't know what to do with it and I began to walk this thing out and now 23 years later untold blessings As they used to say, I could not tell at all all that God has done. I can't stand here and tell you all that God has done in these last few years, last several years. But because of the simple fact that I chose to serve in attitude and action, God began to bless my life and began to revive a ministry that is now touching 
many places around the globe. To God be the glory. And it's still just the beginning, friend. I have a few more, but I guess we'll wait till next Sunday night. But let me say this tonight. It always starts with a need. That need sparks passion. And that person begins to act in response to that need. And then action begins to move others to cooperate. Which brings us to the place where we begin to stir up the gifts in ourselves. Leaders naturally arise when they find their gifts and they use them to serve. May I ask this question as I bring this part of this to a close? Are you serving others? A true leader doesn't want to be served. A true godly leader wants to serve others. So if you think I'm going to get into this thing and people are going to serve me and people are going to do this and they're going to, listen, I'm thankful for the people that God gives us that helps us carry the load. I'm going to tell you something. One of the things that makes me the most uncomfortable, and I'll tell you this just so you quit doing it. One of the things that makes me the most uncomfortable is somebody begins to give, heap any praise on me whatsoever. I don't like it. And I understand you're supposed to give honor and honors, and I appreciate those things, but can I tell you, when somebody sells out to the Lord, they're not looking for attaboys. They're just, they're just wanting to find another towel. And they're just wanting to find another basin to wash a few more feet and to serve a few others. So tonight... Godly leaders in an ungodly world, what's it look like? I can't give you just a clear, simple answer to that, but it looks like, if I could paint it this way, if you want to really be a godly leader, you really have to go to the event that Jesus found himself at shortly before he went to Calvary. And everybody was saying, am I better? Am I the greatest? Am I the chosen one? And he simply said, let me show you something. Pastor Phil said it so clearly on Friday morning. When everything else was going on, he just simply got up out of his chair and took a towel and took his garment off and went down and began to give us an example of what a godly leader is. We need some people to start lining up for towels instead of platforms. We need some people to start lining up for basins instead of positions. Being a godly leader will take you to places that you never dreamed. But don't forget this, God doesn't choose everything. He rejected those that went against his word and his instruction tonight you and I cannot afford to go against his word and his instructions for our lives but if we will follow after him we will experience 
we will experience the power and the anointing and the freshness of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we stand all over the house tonight, please. Next Sunday evening, we're going to finish this thing. We'll finish this thing and then we'll, Lord willing, we'll transition into capturing and implementing a God-given vision after we finish these last, these last four principles of the heart of a godly leader. If I could say it this way, God will only use leaders whose hearts remain pure. Don't care how long you've served the Lord, don't care how long you've been in leadership or if you're just transitioning into leadership and you know God's calling you to certain things this isn't about position this isn't about titles here's what I want to say in my opinion according to the scripture and the study that I do any man any woman that waves the banner of Christ over their life and says I've surrendered my life to the Lord scripture teaches me that we are all called to be ambassadors for the kingdom, which means this, every man, woman, boy, or girl that follows after Christ, God desires them to be a godly leader. So it's not about titles, not about positions. It's about understanding you and I have been empowered supernaturally by the power of God, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we can impact a world. It's amazing to me in Acts, the day of Pentecost, 120 in the upper room. They were all filled. They were all anointed. But the book of Acts only deals with 12 for the most part. And Paul. Does it talk about the other 100 that was in the upper room? And it's not because they didn't do anything. Because you get a few chapters over, you find this. It says, these are they that turned the world upside down. Meaning this, they began to spread like wildfire. It's going every direction. And when they start going in, you find that multiple people begin to come off of those 12. And you see, even though they won't have chapters and verses with their names in it, you find that that 120 people began to be godly leaders in the world in which they lived. And the known world at that time was affected because of the impact they made. I wonder, will we make the impact today? Dear Heavenly Father, as we stand together on this Sunday evening in your house, the house of prayer, Lord, we stand knowing this, that you, you are our salvation, you are our strength, you are our deliverer, but also, Lord, you are our direction. You are our guide. And Lord, today, if there's ever been a time in recent history where we needed godly leadership in our communities, in our workplaces, in our families, it's now. So today, Lord, as we're teaching on godly leadership, I pray that something I have said tonight 
would spark a flame in the hearts of these men and women in this room and those watching online tonight. That they would begin to understand that their lives have the ability to impact the world if they just choose to surrender and yield to all that you're calling them to. Lord, I see great potential within the body of Christ in this season. Talents and gifts, abilities. So today, Lord, we would just pray that those would be released, those would be awakened within the body of Christ. Lord, as we heard so powerfully this morning, let us not be intimidated, but Lord, let us all grab a corner. And Father, today, we will not cease to give you praise and glory for all that's accomplished. So Lord, today I pray that anything that would exalt itself against these men and women to keep them from being the godly leaders that you're calling them to be in their sphere of influence and in the platforms that you've given them, Lord, I pray those things would be broken off of them today. And Lord, I pray for there just be a refreshing wind of your spirit settle down upon them and upon their families. And Lord, we'll never cease to give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it. Tonight, Lord, we pray that this would be a week where we begin to impact our culture and our world around us as godly leaders. So lead us, guide us, direct us, empower us and equip us. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, well, Thanks for watching. Amen. I hope this message blessed you. And if you could, please check the description below for all of our links to our social medias. Um, and as always, check our page. You'll see all of our previous messages there. Uh, I hope this message again blessed you and uh, reached you where you're at. And thanks for watching. See you soon.